Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast with less understanding of the word friendly than Bayern Munich. My name is Rupert Meadows and I've written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sport. My co-host Cameron McDonald has spent three years working as an FA license intermediary here in the UK. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Rupert. And we have had all sorts of news over the past week and a bit. Uh, There have been takeovers that have gone through, other takeovers that continue to stall, uh, deadlines set on contract resolutions and extensions, um, and even some transfers that have finally got across the line. But I want to start with um, just something that was quite interesting um, and don't necessarily have anything to remark on about the, the the body of it and the sort of the nature of it, but there are a few things that, that I thought were interesting takeaways. Um, and that's this interview that Dele Alli had with Gary Neville on his um, his show, The Overlap. Um, really interesting because Dele Alli, of course, for anyone who's a non-English listener um, and then maybe is only familiar with him in sort of recent years or sort of glimpses, was this unbelievably talented player for Spurs who everyone thought was going to take the world by storm. And flash forward now, and I think he's, he's about 24, and his career has just gone off a cliff. Um, he couldn't really get a game at Everton last season, so he was loaned out to Besiktas. Couldn't really get a game there, so he's been sent back. And he's often a player that people lament and go, oh, what a wasted opportunity. Oh, clearly he's you know lazy is one of the words that's bandied around about him very often, and then that's addressed in this interview. Um, sure. And it was interesting. It was it was a really sort of commendable interview because he's he's really honest about a lot of the problems he's been going through, a lot of the off the field problems, a lot of the problems from childhood that started before his career even began. And I think it really makes for great viewing for anyone who likes this sport because it brings you back to that thing that I think all of us can be capable of forgetting sometimes. That is, you know, that there is a person under the under the football shirt at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, real, real eye opening interview and um hard to watch at times um mm. i think i think definitely um makes you question um you know anyone that you you criticize like deli ali um that's that's clearly been through a lot and and it's obviously you know nothing that we could have known as fans but uh yeah sobering really sobering mm. i mean it, it reminds me of i was thinking about it earlier it reminds me of um you know, we learnt that news. I think maybe a season after he left Manchester United, and went back went back to Juventus. That I think it was Paul Pogba's father had died uh, in yeah. the middle of his time at United, and you know, all this sort of you know people going, "Oh, can't it?" And, and it just makes you think if if that were you or I, and your father died, and you had to go into work, and then on top of that, you had sort of forty five thousand people yelling abuse at you in person, and then loads of people online as well. You're like, how could you do your job to any reasonable <laughs> standard of the ability? Um, so yeah, I mean, just 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 insight to, to a guy who's had a really really miserable time, and I, I encourage people to to watch it for themselves. I don't really sort of want to pass comment on a lot of stuff that is beyond my pay grade, but it, it does just go to show, really. Um, and I hope that now, I mean, firstly, a great interview, a really brave thing for Dele Ali to do because, as is stressed in the interview, it will have undoubtedly helped a lot of other people, footballers and people outside of football, in sort of revealing that they're struggling with these issues because it's not a shameful thing to talk about the, the struggle with these issues um, yeah. but also but also I hope it, it does good for him I hope that this is sort of a weight off his chest and now that he's sort of faced these demons and he's come out of this period of recovery that it can you know lead to lead to a level of healing and, and maybe that's away from the game maybe he will come to terms with the fact that there's too much pressure or whatever I don't know the guy um, but hopefully this sort of leads to a to a happier happier future for him whether that's in football or outside of it yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's it's funny you say that because I think first thoughts are maybe that you hope that that will allow him to push on and be 
uh, a footballer again and, and kind of break back into the top flight. But you're absolutely right. If, if, if football isn't for him, then I hope he finds what is. Um, well, the reason I say it is because he himself says, you know, I hope now I can get, I think he says, sure, back sure. to my best, but, but beyond that. So, so fingers crossed. I mean, the, the only thing I would say, and I don't want to sort of denigrate something that is such a, such a massive positive force. And I appreciate that there's, um, you know, certain things that can't just be undone at the drop of a hat because of the subject matter. But I did find it almost sort of like borderline comic irony to the fact that there was this really somber, good, open conversation about the perils of addiction and the perils of abuse and things of that nature. And and halfway through the interview, it was, you know, the overlap brought to you by Skybet. And especially with all the conversations around Ivan Tony <laughs> recently, I was like, it, it was, it was like one of those right, right laughs. Thing. I was like, that's, it's crazy that you can have this email and this discourse that I, I genuinely believe was genuine from Gary Neville about this is great, like more people need to talk about this. And then you've got a big, and don't forget to gamble right in the middle of it, which I was like, great. <laughs> and and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not disparaging. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I like a gamble. I think anyone should be entitled to like a gamble. But I think when you're having a conversation about the, the issues of addiction, <laughs> you couldn't have taken off the, the title sponsor for that one episode? Apparently not. No, there's... um. Yeah, it's uh also you would think that the Sky Bear wouldn't want to be there either. Um Exactly, right? It it's weird that they that no one sort of was like, mm, maybe not for this one, guys. There is a, a funny thing um that I, I came across recently, which is that um on these um just a, a slight aside from football, um on kind of these social media platforms like Twitter especially, um, you can't really choose where your adverts go. And I guess it's somewhat similar to podcasts. Um, but if you're a brand like Skybet, um, you you know, someone could be searching for like crazy stuff, like really bad, rude, aggressive, like sexist, racist, homophobic, you name it stuff. And your advert, you could be there as an advert in that, in that thread. Um, so yeah, it's always, always a risk, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think, it, you know, mostly positive, but I just wanted, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that just because something I saw and I was like, hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think um, there's not much to really add um, to this discourse in terms of Delhi Alley's interview, I think. Um, good to mention, good to encourage people to watch it. Um, interested to hear anyone's thoughts if they'd like to to get in touch with us uh, about it. But um, yeah, strong, powerful interview. Yeah, re- really good stuff. Um, back to the football, though, and back to some of the signings. Um, we started talking... It feels like almost a month ago uh, about the, at the time, battle between Arsenal and Manchester City for the signature of Declan Rice. Um, and it's gone through several stages. And about a week or so ago, it was, you know, the powers that be, the Ornsteins, the Romanos were going, it's all wrapped up. But we waited and we waited and we waited and the announcement didn't come. Um, similarly, Yuri and Timber, a slightly less high profile, but still tremendous signing, um, you know, signed, sealed, delivered, apparently, according to the, the powers that be. But not yet sort of announced and it was a bit of a double whammy um it was on friday they announced yuri and timber and then saturday they announced Declan rice um a couple of things um i sort of want to ask you off the back of these two massive signings um first one i mean it would be remiss to not mention that these are two quite high investment signings yuri and timber i think is up to about 50 million pounds Declan rice of course 105 million pounds with all the add-ons put on this is continuing a recent trend of Arsenal for the first time in a while, um, and I mean recent trend, sort of since Arteta came in, of Arsenal actually digging into their pockets. They've spent quite a lot of money under Arteta, 
Um, and although, yes, this offsets the years and years and years they weren't investing, it's still a real change. Is this a trend? Could they be back on their way out of the wilderness for good with these sort of signings? Is that what this says? Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think any big signing is a risk. It looks incredibly encouraging and positive for Arsenal. But I but think it's, not, it's that, not just the one big signing, though, is it? It's, it's, my, it's one thing to sign a Declan Rice, and I want to talk about that individually as well. But the fact that they're signing—I mean, they've spent two hundred million this window already. I think they're going to yes. spend two hundred million last last summer. Sure. So what I'm saying is, it's almost like they're doubling down, right? They've made good progress. They're they're taking that success and they're putting it back on black, and it could well be the renaissance that. Arsenal fans have been waiting for for what 10 years 15 years Um, 15 or so yeah the problem is if if one or both of these signings don't work out for whatever reason and Deli Alley is a great segue into the the discussion around how you just can't predict what will happen in football um, I think that if these signings don't work out Arsenal could be in a little bit of trouble but beyond that small caveat I think it's incredibly exciting. They're obviously moving forwards. They're obviously matching their their ability on the pitch and their progression in terms of their playing style with ambition in the window. Um, it's a breath of fresh air from the Arsenal that I've uh, grown up kind of, you know, seeing in windows and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, it's not a big hot take, but yeah, I think this is this is the new Arsenal now. Um, I do think sh- it's interesting, just because, you know, we, especially when we talk about the season Arsenal had last year, and we even talked it halfway through about it halfway through, like Arsenal have often been that team for the last 15 years or so that even when they do slightly good, where other teams would go, okay, we've done a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 season, let's build on that and turn it into a 10 out of 10 season. Arsenal and Arsenal's ownership have gone 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, that's a B minus, that's an A or an A minus or whatever. Great, we're good to roll on to the next season or we'll get a couple of sort of little players here and there. And even we sort of talked about during, um, I think you mentioned during January, you know, when Enketia was doing well in that run, you went, it's always during the window that Arsenal players get that buff and, and the powers that be go, we don't need to invest more. Um, but to, to have the season that they had and obviously yes, well, I, I stand by that and I think that's why they didn't challenge further into the, the season that, 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 that very much is true but I, I think certainly at least in the context of this window to have the season that Arsenal had and yes it's a season where they eventually lost out on the title but so many years in the past Arsenal would have had exactly that season they'd gone well you finished second we just got unlucky with a few different games we don't really just sign anyone much less signing an 105 million pound player a player who's up to 50 million a player who's up to 65 million these are huge signings, at least in terms of the investment that they're putting in. I think that's what Arsenal players have wanted for a long time. Uh, sorry, Arsenal fans rather, rather, but probably the players as well. <laughs> it's probably going to be great for, you know, your Sackers and your Erdegaards and, and your Salibas to see these these top players coming in and this level of intent from the ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is There is one thought that I had while listening to you speak just then, and it's quite a scary thought, which is that, Comparatively, if you look at someone like Man City or Chelsea or Newcastle, is this still like spending 160 odd million? Is that still under signing? Well, it, it might be. And that's the other thing I wanted to ask you. You know, Arsenal have made these signings. Are they done if they want to be a title challenger for next season, assuming that's what they want to do? Or do they need to make more signings? 
Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I know that you know this. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, no, let me let me take that back. Um, is their job done in the transfer window? Um, it's it's an, obviously it's an I, impossible I question. Think, but assuming that the season I, I starts tomorrow, no. window slams shut. Are Arsenal no, challenging I, for the title, and are they maybe winning against City? Oh right, uh, they're challenging. Yeah, I personally would like to see them sign one more striker, um, and not even necessarily a, a really massively exciting one, just a just a good backup, um, someone like a Giroud, uh, and I, that's that's maybe doing Giroud dirty with the like the the thirties, the career into his thirties that he's had, um, but. Yeah, someone someone that is a good hold up target man striker that can offer something different if needed. Um, I would like to see Arsenal pick up someone of that ilk. Uh, It'd be interesting to see what what they're up to because there are some suggestions that there are sort of further moves. And, and one question that a lot of people might have is how Arsenal have been doing this, how they're able to spend. Because I've, I've said sort of subsequent windows, it's actually quite interesting because. Partly, you know, I, I said one thing of sort of not spending in the past, but obviously FFP only works in these three-year brackets. Um, so the actual reason they've been able to sign all these players without rearing the ugly head of FFP, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is just because they have such low wages. I think that that's slightly being changed now with the income of people like Havertz and Declan Rice, who are going to be on larger contracts. But some of the highest earners at Arsenal over the last few years, I mean, like Saka, for example, because he came through the Youth Academy, or, or Gabriel Martinelli, they've all been on, like somewhere in the region of like 50 to 80k a week whereas compared to for example a city or a chelsea where you have multiple players on 200 plus you know over the course of a season that that really starts to cause a deficit so they're reaping the rewards now it does perhaps suggest that after this window or maybe one more window this massive spending will have to come to an end and so they're sort of trying to put the final big pieces of the puzzle in and then it'll be sort of maybe one or two more additions but interesting to see i think it'll be interesting to see how other clubs respond to this, because City, for example, have signed Kovacic and uh, they're looking to sign Josko Gvardiol, but they haven't signed him yet and they haven't made a lot of major additions. I still think Arsenal are a long way off them, but has the gap closed with these players? Maybe. I'd say probably. Will it be enough, though? Who knows? It's, I mean, look, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because Man City are, for all of their consistent winning of titles... A little bit of a, you know, a rogue thing. Like, it, it almost feels like any season they could just, like, really struggle um, for half of it. Mm. I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to be hard to beat City, obviously. Um, but you're right to point out the wages. Um, and I think it's, so, it's something that isn't talked about enough. But um, when it comes to a team like Chelsea compared to a team like Arsenal or a team like Liverpool... Um, the, the wages are so significantly different. I think Chelsea's wages last year were were almost a hundred million more. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. And it, it, it's something and that's, that we don't that's really one, see. That's one Declan Rice per year. Yeah, yeah, um, no, it's true. So yeah, I think obviously at Liverpool, I think you know it's been said that the pull of Jurgen Klopp is remains really impressive. I mean, if you look at the wages of someone like um, Zobelai, who's on like fifty, sixty k, versus like. Mason Mount, who just joined Man U and is on like 120. Um, Wait, you know, sure, just, surely, both, surely both those, are, surely that's like after tax. Surely both of them are on way more than that. No way, Sobolai's on 50, 60k. I mean, I take your point, but are those hypothetical numbers or they pull up an I absolute think, highest? I, I will check, I will check, but I think Sobolai is on about 50, 60k. 
Uh, you might be right. I don't think there's any way that's true. That would be unbelievably low for, for a player who's come over, especially for the amount he's come over. Maybe it's, maybe he's got Charlie Kane as an agent. <laughs> Charlie Kane. Um, let's have a quick look. You know what? Let's, we're on air. Let's have a little look. See, my guess would have been, while you search, my guess would have been that, like, just from Bundesliga standards, coming from, like, an RB Leipzig, even there, 50k would be a bit low. So... He's not going to have taken a wage cut to go to Liverpool. Like the average like wage for a non-youth top six Premier League player is going to be like 120k a week. So for someone like to be on way less than that, I'm saying top specifically a top six club, because obviously you've got a lot of the... the, the so Zobelai was earning 35k at Leipzig. Is that right? Dude, you don't... But I, the Premier League is so different. That's the Premier mental. League is is so completely different to the rest of the leagues in terms of all kinds of finances. Well, ex- except La Liga for Bayern, uh, for Barcelona and Real. But that's not La Liga. <laughs> but, that's Barcelona and Real. Yeah, that's um, true. But but even still, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of a lot of like the squad players aren't earning much. But I guess that's that's common for yeah a lot of squad. But I, I was saying to where you were looking that up, like to, like for example, someone like earning that at Leipzig isn't going to be a million miles away from what a lot of the players at, for example, uh, you know, Bournemouth are earning. It's probably going to be more than what a lot of what Bournemouth. I mean, Bournemouth are a very extreme example, but say the the average weekly wage across all the Premier League teams is probably something like sixty k. But yeah, that's that surprised me. That, that surprised me. Well, it, it, I, it's hard to say. I've see, I've seen something that said that his his wages were around fifty sixty. I've, I'm now looking and seeing other things that say it's still higher. Nothing seems to be definitive. Um, but yeah, it's so hard to find half, half the time, isn't it? Um, anyway, back to the main point. Wages are massively important and not talked about enough, and often um, well, as, as and as clubs like learned. Liverpool and Arsenal can can um, get away with paying their their players less than the teams around them. It has an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, what better point to illustrate the fact that wages are not as easily available and uh, and widely reported as uh, as transfer fees, and the fact that <laughs> you know we've both been sort of talking about Shabalai uh, on and off the podcast for the last few weeks, but we have no idea how much he's paid. There you go. Um, um, moving swiftly on, uh, one that happened on the 8th, but we didn't get round to it last week. Um, England winning the under-21 Euros. Um, interesting in the main because, come on England. Um, but also just interesting because it's not the first time that England have had a successful gro- like crop of youth players. And it's interesting because, not just for England, but in general, you would think that whenever a team wins like an under-21 Euros or an under-20s World Cup or, or any of these sort of youth competitions, that it would directly correlate to that crop of players or at least some of them sort of maturing and coming through and doing really well. But it doesn't always do really well. What do you think about this crop of young players? Should England fans already be getting a bit excited about this next generation? Or is it just, it's a different landscape under under sort of, you know, non-sen- non-senior sport is effectively a different landscape. It's a bit of a roll of the dice. Well, where do you stand on this? Uh, well, it's it's interesting because the the England grassroots and youth project is coming up to about ten years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2014, there was a big shift, and there was a lot of investment put in to um, kind of trying to get better and more young English players through academies and through the ranks and up into top flight of of football and. Since then, there has been a real shift in terms of the success of England's young teams. Um, 
this is actually, ironically, the first um, England under under twenty one European Championship win for about forty years. But mm. um, it has they have been incredibly successful. The under twenties have won the World Cup, I believe. The under eighteens have won quite a few competitions. I think the under twenty ones have also won competitions. Um, you know, we are one of the best nations in the world in terms of our young teams. Um, probably the best or the second best um, in the world in the last five years. Um, and if you look at the way that S- um, Spain developed their young players in the build-up of the years leading up to their international dominance, and if you look at the way Germany um, you know, built up their youth academies in the build-up to their international dominance. Um, they both had similar pathways. And, um, and there's one I, other I, as well that you didn't mention there, which is, of course, France. France. Who were, were all over the place before they built Clairefontaine in 1988, I think it was, and then 10 years later won their first World Cup. Excellent example, 10 years later. Um, so it's funny. I, I, It sounds like it's not... It sounds like I'm making this up, but for for about the last... 10 years or so I've been saying that England are going to win the 2026 World Cup you, you, um, ha- you actually have I can't I mean I, my, I don't, who knows how much my word is worth but I can't compare you to saying <laughs> that for a long time there's an article that I wrote somewhere about um, the the England makeup and how exciting it was going to be in the years to come um, all this to say I am encouraged and I'm excited and it takes time to change cultures and it takes time for the, the waves of young players coming through to really start to have an impact on the highest levels of football. But historically, that period has been about 10 years. Um, so be excited as England fans. Um, you know, you, you, this so you, isn't you, you're nailing something that's going to go away. It's coming home in 2026. And if it doesn't, well, free reign to devour you. I'm just saying that we have been on the up for a while. I think we should ditch Southgate. Because I think we want to win things, and I don't think we will with him. But I think that is an exciting time to be an England fan. Three big standout players for me uh, from this tournament. There were obviously, obviously a lot of impressive players in the run to win, but just a couple of interesting standouts for me because they're all all three of them are in quite similar, but in other ways, different situations. Um, one is the goalkeeper, James Trafford. Um, he was playing on loan from Man City at uh, Bolton this season in League One. Um, but very interesting player um, and an interesting subject of quite a strangely large bid from Burnley. They bid like nineteen million pounds for him, which is strange for a young guy <laughs> who's um, who's only played sort of in, in, in League One at the senior level. But he seems uh, very very good. He obviously saved that penalty, uh, sort of a double save actually, very late on in the final to to win England the game. Um, yeah. And interesting for the reason that Burnley are probably spending that much money on him to start him. So I think we can expect to see if he's ready for the the big time next season very early on. Um, the other one is uh, Levi Colwell, a player that we know is ready for the big time because he played incredibly well for Brighton last season. Um, but it's a little bit of a he's a bit a bit of a stick and twist moment. Um, he's obviously a Chelsea player uh, and. Being a young player at Chelsea is kind of like rolling a dice, but it's a loaded dice. You you might get lucky and get the the Reece James and the Mason Mount, uh, or, or or you know the Re- the Ruben Loftus Cheek even. Um, but outside of the, the sort of transfer bans, it's not as likely. Um, 
but he's sure. also subject to bids from sort of Liverpool and Brighton won him back. So he's one that could be really interesting and I, I hope for his sake moves. The other one is Emil Smith-Rowe, who is another one that maybe should consider a move if he wants to continue to kick on. Um, he was brilliant in this tournament, and uh, although he has been brilliant for Arsenal in the past, didn't really get a look in uh, this past season without um, sort of after his injury, uh, once he came back in. He's sort of been displaced, gone a fair bit down the pecking order, obviously, with Gabriel Martinelli coming in. That's also been increased by, it looks like, Leandro Trossard's ahead of him in the pecking order. Reese Nelson as well. You know, he, he maybe could have seen a renaissance in that left eight position, but now Kai Havertz has come in. So I think he's a great player, and unlike Chelsea, it is often good uh, to be a young player in the Arsenal team. But maybe, as we were talking about earlier, about sort of times changing at Arsenal... It, that sort of window to be a young player coming through might rapidly be closing and, and it might be the best thing for Smith Rowe's career to, to move on um, or maybe to stay but I, I, I'd love to see his full potential because I think he's a brilliant player as well when he gets his games I think a, a tactical loan to a lower down the league um, Premier League side would be best for Smith Rowe because I think if you're if you're Arsenal he's probably not going to get as much of a look in as you'd like him to get to develop. Um, and if you can, if you can get him to somewhere like Crystal Palace, uh, then I think, I think you would personally, I would. Um, I think that's yeah. what's best for him for now. Cause you don't want to get rid of him or you put a good buy up by, um, buyback clause in. Um, but you're that's right. His I potential, his potential is massive and he's shown flashes of it in the premier league. Um, but, yeah, with with Havertz in now as well, it looks like he's unlikely to get as much game time as he ne- he might even deserve. I think we'd probably say that. Un- unless there's a lot of injuries, it's it's quite looking quite difficult for him to have a, a path to consistent game time in the first team. I mean, it is worth saying that obviously now with Arsenal back in the Champions League, they will be playing uh, on sort of four fronts quite seriously. Um, obviously, they were in the Europa League last season, but. They should have sort of mixed and match. So, you know, there'll, there'll be four competitions to play in. He may get some some serious game time. Uh, but yeah, I think he is a, he's a brilliant talent. And um, like all three players I mentioned there, just need that game time to, to continue to develop. Otherwise, you'll be like one of those young players that, uh, <laughs> that everyone's sort of talking I mean, it's always funny when you look at those old, old things in like 2010, for example. And it's like, oh, predict England's lineup in the 2022 World Cup and half of the players you have just never heard of. Yeah. Or they're players that now, like, they had, they were really good in, like, Chelsea's academy, and then they had, like, two disappointing years at Burnley, and now they're playing in non-league or something. <laughs> it's just it's impossible to tell, so you need that game time. You absolutely do. Um, something else that I thought was uh, was funny, and potentially creates a stat that is unlikely to be beaten anytime soon, Ashley Cole got a red card in this game. And it's the first red card he's ever got for England. And I looked and, and the first ever game he played for England was for the under 20s in 1999. 24 years into his England career, he gets his first red. Is that, is that some sort of record? I, know, I think James Milner would have had a larger record, probably. Um, <laughs> let's go to a bit of useless trivia. I have got a little bit of cross-sport useless trivia for you uh, today. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz, of course, won at Wimbledon uh, over mm. the weekend, which means that Carlos Alcaraz has won at both Wimbledon and Chelsea in 2023. Um, the only other player to do that in recent memory is Lucas Leiva, who also won at both Wimbledon and Chelsea in 2015. 
Now, I've been a little bit funny there because Lucas Leiva won at Wimbledon, not in the tennis tournament, uh, but of course in the FA Cup third round for Liverpool when they played AFC Wimbledon. And Carlos Alcaraz is the name of the tennis player who won Wimbledon and also the Southampton striker who won against Chelsea earlier this year. <laughs> How have you... Is, is this something that you came up with? Don't and worry so, about it. Al, there you go. Well, look, hey, one of the few times that I appreciated someone explaining why they were being funny and how. Um, well played. <laughs> well played. That's a that's a good one. Um, I came across quite a funny stat this week, which mm-hmm. was that um, in the last 17 years, Iran have more World Cup wins than Italy. In the last how long, sorry? 17 years. Is that right? Blimey. That's, uh, that's, that's quite something. But I guess Italy, yeah, have had this sort of weird run of sort of not qualifying and going out early. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a great bit of use of trivia. Great one for down the pub, which is always the Italy mark. have only scored one goal in seventeen years, and how many iterations of the World Cup? 2010, 2014, 2018, four iterations of the World Cup. That's bad. <laughs> I had to, had to count that. So I just go, I, what's, Iran what's have it? two goals. Well, there you go. That's that's double Italy. That's double. That's impressive. Um, next, uh, a little bit of an interesting story with a quick clock, a bit of a clock uh, ticking down for this one that is less than two weeks away. Um, that is PSG, who have set a deadline for the resolution of the Mbappe contract situation. Um, for those who maybe haven't been keeping such a close eye on what's going on there, um, Kylian Mbappe's contract runs out at the end of the next coming season, so at the end of the 2023-24 season. Um, And PSG want the player to either sign a new deal or trigger his extension or be sold now for a hefty fee. Um, The deadline they've now set is July 31st because this is the date that Kylian Mbappe's option to extend his current, current contract by one year expires. So when he signed the deal, it was through to 2025, which was effectively a two-year deal through to 2024 with the option for a one-year extension. This entire, you know, fracas has been said, set off by him saying he didn't want to extend for a further year. Um, it's an interesting situation because PSG have set this deadline. They've gone, you need to sign or go by July 31st. But there's no rush on the player's side because he's going... I'm happy to play for another year in Paris because I like it here. I'm also happy to go for a free if it means I'm more likely to go to the club I want to go to. Um, so you can't really rush me to buy. And obviously for Real Madrid, who have basically already spoken to him, <laughs> been, I assume given assurances, they're like, well, yeah, we're not going to rush in and offer 200. We're just going to wait for him to go for a free as well. So it's kind of an interesting situation. Where PSG have like set this deadline and gone, you guys better sort this out. And they're both like, why? Why? We, we, we can just wait and both get what we want. This is only you don't get what you want if this deadline is you, you know, it's actually on you, right? <laughs> yeah. It, a bizarre situation that just really feels like at least one person in one room has completely missed the point. Yeah. It, it's, it's like you, you can't really give people an ultimatum if the, at the end result, if they don't fulfill that ultimatum, is what they want. Yeah. If you don't clean this room, you're going to get too many, two desserts. <laughs> Okay, boss. Oh, okay, um, sure, sure. Sorry, mum, I'll clean my room right away. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they know something we don't. 
Uh, Maybe they do know something, something we don't. But then you did have quotes like Nasser Al Khalifi, who is the um, oh yeah <laughs> owner and chairman, who's like having this this angry tirade, um, supposedly, uh, and he's going, you know, club's best player doesn't leave on a free. That never happens. You know, we can't let him leave for free. This is unacceptable. This just this is unheard of in football. Like a best player of a club and a, one of the best players in the world leaving for free. It, it's it's unheard of. It's completely ridiculous. And I saw that. And I was like, do you not do you not remember how you got Lionel Messi like two years ago? <laughs> Little Messi widely accepted to be the greatest of all time, and you got him for free because <laughs> his contract ran out. It also happens like not not a small amount. No, like it, it doesn't happen. happen a small amount, but it's so funny that like it, ha- it, happen- like, it happens, happens a decent amount. But the most high-profile example of it, perhaps ever, happened to them two years prior. Yeah, it's it's very silly. It's very silly indeed. Quite funny, um, but very silly. Uh, Quite funny indeed. Quite funny indeed. I wonder what will happen. But yeah, I mean, as, as they as they say, the folks on El Chiringuito say, tic tac. We've got thirteen days left uh, until this uh, contract extension expires. Maybe it is Mbappe um, playing the game again, and they're going to announce that he is on you know one point six million a week. He is now the mayor of Paris, and France has brought back guillotining, and he's allowed to operate it. <laughs> Gosh, um, what's what I'm quite enjoying the idea of is, is like at, at some point maybe um maybe like psg tried to get harry kane this summer mm-hmm. and and daniel levy was like i don't really care if you want to sign like you gotta you gotta you gotta bid a lot and psg were like but he could go for free next year and daniel levy was like there's no way that will ever happen the best player of a club does not leave for free and psg were like oh oh right it, all, it always <laughs> comes back to daniel levy doesn't it Oh, is that true? Oh, oh, fantastic. I didn't know. No one tells me these things. Uh, Yeah, always comes back to Daniel leaving his machinations. Uh, No, it it is an interesting situation because I suppose the key difference in certainly the the, the sort of Lionel Messi deal, not so much in others, that Messi wasn't sort of deliberately running down his contract and and, and trying to leave. Um, Whereas Mbappe, he he says that, you know, he wants to play another year in Paris. He enjoys his football there. But equally, he's, he's, you know, going to, not a sign of the contract extension, which does ultimately mean he will leave at the expiry of that. Um, so, so I think it's the highest profile example of that happening. Although similar examples do happen at, at other clubs, um, it's it's crazy, isn't it? How you let a player at your club do whatever the fuck he wants for like four years, and then he, and then and he does then, whatever the fuck he wants, <laughs> and then when you want him to do something specific, he continues to do whatever the fuck he wants. Isn't that mad? It is bad. It's just a bit of a shame that his his massive wage sort of precludes other teams from being in for him. Because despite the fact that a player of Mbappe's quality is available on a free, the fact that he's on, I read one report that said he was on. Um, well, the, the, the sort of common thing is eight hundred k a week is the one that's bandied around a lot. And then I read an article uh, earlier that said it was more like uh, forty million pounds a year, which would be a little bit less than that. Um, so, whatever it is, it's still significantly more than. Almost any club can afford, and even to the point where I'm like, can Real Madrid really afford that? Um, I guess so. Otherwise, it'd be in for him. But it'd be interesting if there was a bit of a, a bit of a good old-fashioned transfer war for one of the best players on the planet, and there were like six or seven different clubs all going in for him because he was on a free. It would be nice, wouldn't it? That's classic, like Juventus territory. Not that I think Mbappe would want to go to Juventus, but uh, it would be fun. I, I agree. 
Speaking of Juventus territory, it just reminds me of I was gleefully, when I was supposed to go to bed and get up for work early the next morning, uh, scrolling through Twitter last night because of, did you see um, see Cristiano Ronaldo's comments about MLS and uh, Saudi Arabia? No, what did he say? <laughs> he's, he's come out today with this like, very bizarre and seemingly unprompted um, sort of, uh, it's not even a rant, it's, it's like, he, he basically came out and he went, like the Saudi Pro League is a better league than the MLS, and then he, which you know, it's, it's, I don't think so, but whatever. This is obvious, thing, I suppose. obvious Ronaldo Messi commentary. Insert. <laughs> yeah, uh, so he said that, uh, and then he went, "Oh, it's also you know, it's, it's becoming better than other leagues. It's going to be better than the the Portuguese league soon. It's going to be better than, or maybe he said it was better than the Portuguese league." And then he sort of he made the claim that he was like, "I opened the door for all of this because people, top players are only coming here now because I'm here." And I was like, that might factor into it somewhat, Cristiano. <laughs> I can think of a much larger reason why loads of players are upending and moving across the world. <laughs> it's not they want no, to get no, a glimpse no. of you in the Al Nasser shirt. It's Ronaldo. They have to play against Ronaldo. Or just <laughs> in the same league as him. He's like, N'Golo Kante couldn't wait to play in the same league as me, and that's why he decided to move here. I'm like, there's there's a litany of other reasons why what someone... Is... It's unbelievable. Is David Ospina no one to this man? <laughs> Or is he, he knows it's down to speed. <laughs> Does Luis Gustavo mean nothing to Cristiano Ronaldo? Honestly, it's uh it's, it's a really interesting claim that I, I I well it could have not been it could have not been non-prompted. Who knows how these things work? But it was just such a weird sort of thing to come out with. Because I was like, I mean, probably a bit Cristiano, but you're not the reason that people have got if the wages were the same, a lot of these players were just stuck at their clubs back in Europe. Do you know what's quite funny is that um for the last couple of years, Cristiano Ronaldo has actually been doing the exact same career trajectory as Odie Nogalo. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Off to Spain to Juventus, to Ma- uh, Spain to Italy, to Manchester United specifically, then off to Saudi Arabia. Is that where Odie Nogalo is now? Uh, just to Manchester United in 2020-2021 and then to uh, Saudi Arabia <laughs> the year afterwards. <laughs> oh, because Nogalo's at Watford. Where was Nogalo before Watford, though? I feel like maybe he was at. Oh, before Watford, he was at Granada and um, Chisena um, and Udinese. But he, he he had a spell which, in China. Which, so. which, which order? Okay, never mind. Uh, well, he was at Udinese for like six seasons. Um, I, was, I was hoping and, it was the other then, way around. And during that time, he had like four loans, one of which was at Watford. And then he joined mm. Watford for a couple of years. And then he went to China for a few years. But you're he saying took that a year off took a year off football as well. You're saying rogue. that Spain, Italy... <laughs> England brackets Manchester United to Saudi Arabia pipeline has been done already by yeah, Odin Agallo. By Odin Agallo. So really like Ronaldo, like whose footsteps are you following him, bro? That that's what if Odin Agallo was a really, really funny guy, he has the opportunity to do the funniest thing now. <laughs> Call a press conference. <laughs> we should tell him. Someone someone tell him. I opened the door for, for Cristiano Ronaldo. Um so yeah, that that, that was just a side because I saw some people arguing about um it was that old thing of like whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo made Juventus better or worse, um, which I was just I was enjoying. So it was two Juventus fans actually arguing quite passionately. Um, well, didn't it like two and a half times their club's value? So I'm going to go ahead and say better. Well, I mean, I don't want to sort of just. Well, I'll, I'll give you the very sort of brief thing, but what, what that was what one of them was saying and sort of going, oh, and he was the highest scorer in the club's decade or whatever, and the other was going. Because he cost a hundred million, and also because of his wages, he <laughs> brought Juventus into financial ruin to the point where they're now in three other winners of the league. Yeah, uh, 
So, so you know, who knows? I, 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 it's it, it an interesting discourse. Interesting. Largely because I didn't know which side I, I fell on, but that's all I, that. I, I think, I think, as much as I might dislike Cristiano Ronaldo, to put the the woes and behaviour of Juventus for the last few years Juventus solely on his shoulders is perhaps a little unreasonable. Indeed, indeed it would be. Uh, let's move, as is now the case in uh, modern football, from one part of the Middle East to another and talk about the Qatari takeover of Manchester United, or the lack thereof, uh, as the deal has continued to stall. Um, bits of, sort of little, little bits of news coming out every other week, it seems. Some saying it's all been confirmed, it's been signed on the dotted line. The most recent news sort of coming out this weekend, uh, again, not fully confirmed, but from all the sort of the people in the know, um, that it's now completely off. Certainly the deal hasn't been completed yet. Um, and there are a few sort of leading theories as to why. Uh, one theory sort of suggests that the Glazers prefer the other offer from Sir Jim Ratcliffe because it's not an offer of majority ownership. It's, it's um, sorry, it's an offer of majority ownership rather than a full sale. So there would be uh, so some glazer still still ownership in there um Another suggestion, it's quite interesting because I saw a, a quote from uh, Matt Slater, who's an athletic journalist uh, on a Manchester United fan podcast um, or fan sort of channel. Um, so one, the other theory suggests that obviously they've valued Manchester United at six billion, which is by the market probably a little bit more than it's worth. And they're sort of just waiting uh, for Sheikh Jassim to pony up the full amount they want. Um, for Matt Slater that's true for Paddock, he went, there's certainly a theory, and it's a pretty good theory, that this entire eight-month dance has been about getting them to do just that. Just drag it out. Come on, Sheik, we know you can afford it. You're doing this in cash. You said you're going to clear the debt. What's another half billion between friends? There's a big problem here. The Qataris are sick of being taken for mugs, and if they overpay in this deal, they worry that they'll be asked to overpay on the next property deal. The next time they buy a chunk of Uber or Starbucks or whatever it is. The next time a large piece of real estate comes up in Manchester or London or Paris or Geneva or whatever it might be. Which is interesting because I thought that Sheikh Jassim had nothing to do with the Qatari state, question mark. So why would the Qatari state care about if Sheikh Jassim overpays for Manchester United? What an excellent question, Cameron. Um, but, but but an interesting one. An interesting one that there is potentially a reluctance to pay what they consider to be over the odds for Manchester United. Uh, and, th- and that's what's stalling the deal. Um, interesting. In- in- interesting that this deal is sort of stalled because... Obviously, we are in the window now. It's not that United haven't been sort of making deals. Uh, they've sort of just signed Andre Onana, which I think is a great signing. They've they're sort of they've agreed personal with Rasmus Holland uh, and are sort of looking to make a bid with Atalanta. They obviously signed Mason Mount, so it's an interesting transitionary period because you would assume that a club that was in between owners wouldn't be this busy in the window. But I guess United always have been spending their own money rather than the Glazers' money, so <laughs> that that does free that up a little bit. But you would just think, from like a strategic perspective, that that wouldn't really be happening that much. You would, but I think it's oh, it's always so complicated and weird at the top level that it's very hard to to find logic in in a lot of um, behaviour. Um, it's it is funny, isn't it? I mean, there's been so many rumours of of sales of Man U for for several years now, um, and different people coming in and out, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe as well. Ironically, has had loads of different rumours around him um, buying numerous clubs over the years. I think most recently he was in for for Chelsea. Um, at the same time as, as Todd Bowley um, and before that actually as well I think when Abramovich first started having like visa troubles it looked like uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe might have been um, looking to buy but um, yeah who's to say it's 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 still swirling at the moment all of these rumours and it should maybe get a little clearer in the next couple of weeks 
Well, I've, I've been thinking that for months now. I've been thinking, surely it's going to be cleared up soon. Yeah, it's going to be. It's, it's, it's taken a weirdly long time to the point where, like, we're not that far from the season starting. And if the season gets a considerable, like, like ten games through or whatever, uh, I mean, certainly the United fans are going to be furious at the Glazers. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe the power, the sort of the Qatari uh, Sheikh Jassim and and the uh, the QSI, which has no affiliation to the Qatari government, of course, um, mm-hmm, will mm-hmm, sort of just mm-hmm. get fed up and and not go through with it. I think Man U's enough of an excitement, like Man U really is what, one of the three biggest clubs in the world? Its reach yeah, is that. enormous. I think while I agree that the evaluation is probably a, a reach, an overestimate, the interest in it won't go away. They're still so exciting to, I imagine, um, people uh, looking to buy it in places like Qatar that I'm sure they've got a little while little bit of goodwill left in the tank yet that they can burn through that's but that's that's another reason why i'm sort of surprised why because because united aside from real madrid or barcelona which you can't buy is the ultimate sports club to buy if you have sort of sports watching ambitions or even just like if you have like essentially an empty check and you want to have global reach i agree that like one of the top three biggest clubs in the world the other the, the other two you can't buy um it doesn't really get much better if you want an instrument of soft power than, than Manchester United. No, so I'm surprised that they're not, not just going all in. Well, um, could be things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Uh, it could be that they think that they can get pay, pay less. Um, Perhaps. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of twists and turns uh, and, and sort of little things coming left in this deal. I'm sure we haven't seen the end of it just yet. Um, one deal that we have seen the end of uh, now is uh, championship side Leeds, who have been sold fully to 49ers Enterprises, uh, the US group who also unsurprisingly own the NFL team, the San Francisco 49ers. Um these guys, of course, bought into the club temp- as 10% shareholders in 2018. Uh, that stake rose to 37% and then 44% by the end of 2021. Um, what's interesting about this deal is they initially secured an option to buy Leeds in full. Uh, that deal would have gone through in January 2024 in a deal that would have valued the club at around £500 million. So they already owned just under half. They would have paid a little bit over £250 million, probably 272 I haven't got my calculator on me, but that, that sort of region um, sure. to buy Leeds in full. However, following the relegation from the Premier League, uh, they've renegotiated a deal. Uh, so the 100% buyer value now values the club at around £170 million. Pounds. Um, so, uh, bit, bit, bit tricky for Rajasani, who sold that now for significantly less. Wait, wasn't it, wasn't it the buyout, the amount of shares that they were buying was worth £170 million? Or yeah. was it the total value of the club was £170 well, the, the the shares, but that's what it values the club at. If the share has been sold at, so it's not, yeah, what the shit, what the club. Oh, right, right, right. At. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, I mean, which honestly, very good value, pretty good value. Um, again, well, if they, for if a they massive, come straight back up, for a massive historic club. Um, yeah, if they come straight back up, it's a great deal. Also, actually, on Leeds, maybe an answer to the question that uh, that we talked about last week, but heard a lot of talk about Leeds and sort of players having relegation clauses, but nothing about Leicester or, or Southampton. So I think that is basically what's happened there. Um, somehow Southampton and Leicester have, have not had those in their player contracts, whereas, whereas Leeds did. Well, I mean, Southampton have been in the Premier League for quite a while now, haven't they? Six, seven years? 
Mm. Yeah, that's true. I, I I just assumed it would have been something that would have been sort of baked into most top level Premier League contracts, but I guess not. Nah, reckon not. Reckon well, because I mean, well. um, a good a good example across the pond is someone like Juventus. You know, they they got dropped down well, like two leagues when they got initially caught. Um, I can't remember what was was it for paying off refs. Yeah, for for Calciopoli, yeah, for 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 paying refs and match. Fixing. Not, I'm not saying in the last couple of years. I'm saying like back in like whenever it was, like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that, um, that was, that was Calciopoli. That was when they 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 kept fixing. all their players. <laughs> I love when you talk about like Juventus financial scandals. You're about, no, 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 not that one. The the one from you know back then. <laughs> there have they, been several. There they, have been they, several. They did keep their players. Yeah, um, I mean, make make there, what you there were no that. relegation clauses there, Cameron. Well, I mean, firstly, I, I was just say I, I don't know exactly how Italian contracts work. Like, there might have not even be relegation clauses as a thing. Because it's like, you know how in Spanish contracts, there's every contract has to have a release clause and stuff like that. So it might not even be a thing. Um, so so, so I don't know if that's something that would... Because there's, you know, Italian employment law and stuff like that operates very differently. But yeah, that's true. And also... Juventus might have been like, we could still pay you the same <laughs> because they, they did come straight back up. So both leagues. So I think the main like... thing is right. It's like if you want a, a um, what do they call um, a relegation clause in your contract? That's typically something that a player is pushing for, right? It's a player and his agent. Um, and if 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 a player is joining a club that they think might get relegated, they will say to their agent, "Die on this hill." get me a relegation clause in this contract. Um, and if you are a player joining a club in the top 10 or even the top six, you're, that's not going to be the hill you die on. Um, you know, you're going to be trying to get as much wages as you can. You're going to be trying to get better goal bonus. You're going to be trying to get a clean sheet bonus, all of this stuff. You're going to be trying to to get, you know, whatever it is, you know, a better a better agency fee, agent fee, whatever, whatever hill. But... The importance is not going to be placed. Any importance is not going to be placed on having a, a relegation clause. If you said that to a, to a club like Chelsea, they'd be like, "Do you know who we are? I don't. Is your ambition even correct? Like, I, I feel like you, you maybe even get kicked out of the room. Like, what are you doing here? Do you understand that we're challenging?" For the title, we're not getting relegated anytime soon. Do you watch football? There's a conversation heard about us? Southampton like, a couple of years ago. But, but I mean, I, I think <laughs> obviously there's, I, I, I obviously there's levels to it. But um, you know, I, I think for a lot of players, when you go into a negotiation room, you're going to be trying to negotiate around the things that you think are most likely to happen. And if the club has been in the Premier League for some time and it looks stable, that's likely not going to be on your radar. Especially if, as we say. Um, we see a lot. Um, the agency space is semi-professional. And I say that in the sense that, you know, some are, are really professional. Others are family members. Others are best mates. It's mm, very true. It's very true. And it's a good point. It is that classic sort of like, because <laughs> you know the clubs will have slipped in relegation clauses for, on the wages, but then if they're like, can I leave if we get relegated? They'll have been like, What? You're thinking of putting a clause in your contract? It's like, but you put one on page seven and they're like, no, excuse, you don't have the ambition to be here, maybe. You joke, uh, but could see. Could see. No, I, I, uh, final sort of note. Um, 
not one to say massive amounts on because it is yet to start, of course. But this Thursday, bright and early uh, UK time, it is, of course, the start of the Women's World Cup, um, mm. which will be uh, very interesting. Kicking us off, New Zealand hosting Norway, uh, followed by co-host Australia uh, at 11 um, UK time. Uh, another interesting World Cup to take us through a uh, what, what would have otherwise been a footballer summer. I like now that we have this alternate thing and it's got sort of more popular to the point you can sort of watch it in pubs because otherwise it is just a dreary old summer. Um, you excited for this? You, you think uh, the Lioness have got a good chance despite the many, many injuries? I'm looking forward to it. I think um, we'll go in as underdogs, but um, we've got a good team that knows how to win things. I think, I think I'll international ranking is the same as our men's team which is fourth in the world um behind usa germany and sweden which is a name that um people who might not follow women's football as much might be surprised by um, who might not follow geography as much might be there's a sweden <laughs> that's that's finland i think you're thinking of <laughs> ah the, the, the one people debate whether it exists or not because <laughs> yeah, it's it's like like one percent of the population of the world or something like that <laughs> which is like the same the same amount of standard deviation in any population statistic um yeah anyway um it's like I, I think it'll be fun you know it, it's growing as you say it's on in the pubs um probably similar to a lot of the under 21 world cup i if it's on the if it's on the pub i'm probably gonna watch it um and Come on, the lionesses! Uh, I think I think we're all we're all a little bit of a fan now. Um, it's just nice to see an, an England team win things. Um, it is, it is. Although I, d- I don't think just because of the injuries that we are going to win anything this 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 tournament. But you never know. But I feel like we've we've gone from you know one of the favourites to maybe just a little bit outside that. But you never know. Injuries mean that sort of new players come into the fold, and it's a great chance to prove yourself. And what better stage is there than the World Cup? That's true. I mean, what, what's interesting, I think, is that um, the way that um, you know FIFA do their rankings is based on points, total points that teams get. Um, and if you look at the rankings of um, kind of the top the top ten teams, um, the gap's closing. Um, all of the top four teams, USA, Germany, Sweden, and England, have all lost points um, recently. And um, France have gained points. Spain have gained points. Brazil um, have jumped into the top ten. Um, so I think, I think what we're getting is as the, as this, the, the teams, as I guess the, the sector, the, what, what, what would you say there as the, the industry of women's football is growing, um, the gap between, I guess, first and 10th place teams is getting smaller naturally as, as kind of more teams are putting more money into it, more countries are putting more money into it. So we will keep getting more interesting, more exciting, more competitive tournaments. So it's only going to get better, and it's already pretty good. That's true. Did you see the um, the advert for the uh, French women's team? Yeah, with the uh, um, with the the AI that changed the. Mm. Um, well, well, explain it for the for the listeners. So, they did an advert for the the French women's football team, where they you basically saw clips of. Mbappe and Griezmann and and all of these top French players um, dribbling past people, scoring great goals, scoring free kicks, all of this exciting stuff. And then the advert kind of goes, hold on. And then this like AI filter comes on 
And it basically transpires that all of these great clips that you might have very naturally assumed were being scored by, uh, you know, the best players in the world, like your Griezmanns and your Mbappes, were in fact being scored by female players. Um, and they kind of Fre- removed French, the filter. French women's players specifically. Exactly, French women's players. And they removed the filter and um, it was uh, you know, the, the French women, the members of the French women's team um, that were scoring the goals. Um, pretty cool advert, I, I thought. Um, that was good because, because obviously at the beginning you don't know it's the French women's team, so you're sort of watching it and you go like, "Oh, that was a that was a nice goal by Mbappe. Oh, that was oh nice little turn by Griezmann there and stuff." And then it goes like, "Oh, football. There's nothing that makes you feel like it, right?" And then it's like, "But it's also it's women's football, and you cheer it on. Look at you, ha ha ha. You enjoy it. Gotcha." I thought it was a that was a clever <laughs> advert. Ha! You like it. Yeah, there exactly, was, exactly. There was one goal that I wouldn't have put in. Okay, Rupert. Uh, we try not to criticise women on this podcast, actually, Rupert. <laughs> maybe maybe one... I'll put an AI filter over you next episode. My name's Gavin McDonald, and I'm joined by ChatGPT. <laughs> I'm joined by Rupert Bot. <laughs> they can't build AI like me. Um, <laughs> that, that will come out next year. Yeah, uh, no, very exciting stuff. Uh, looking forward to it all kicking off. Um, I'll definitely be watching a fair bit of it, uh, especially because it is now, as you mentioned, uh, much more widely available uh, and cheering on the Lionesses. Um, but probably, Rupert, a good place to end it for this week. Cam, I think so. Um, things to look forward to is always a nice place to, to wrap up. Uh, Cam, great to talk to you. Rupert, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amshill.